0: The future belongs to those who see the possibilities before they become obvious. Welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires,
1: with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. This is Fireside Chats Without the Fires, Friday, February 26th. Unbelievable, the end of February. And we are going to conclude this short month with some meaningful, absolutely meaningful content. We have a sensational guest today, Jim Callback. We're going to introduce him in just a second. Paul, I've forgotten in the last couple of episodes to lead into this. Tell us, Paul, today how you are feeling about our guests and about just generally having Podcast Friday.
2: Yeah, Neil, I've, I've become a little bit disappointed. You've stopped asking me how I am on a Friday. I'm buzzing. I am buzzing. Here we go.
1: Let's get into this. We have a sensational guest, Jim Callback. Let's hear you, make sure that the audience can hear your voice, and then we're going to get into the introduction.
0: Yep. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Perfect. So Jim Callback is the chief evangelist at a company called Mural, and he is the co-founder and principal at JTBD Toolkit. Uh, What you hopefully will know Jim Callback for, and what you should know him for, is he is the author of Mapping Experiences, a complete guide to creating value through journeys, blueprints, and diagrams. Why is that important? Well, in our CX world, uh, we know and hear a lot about mapping, and we're going to definitely get into mapping. But what's really great about Jim in the book? He's been uh, highlighted uh, in two different of these you know top book lists, top top must reads. One of them is the 21 must read customer experience books in 2021 and i gotta tell you he's surrounded by some amazing authors with some amazing titles uh definitely a prestigious list to be a part of and he's also this book is also part of the 10 books every cx leader should read in 2021 that was published by qualtrics customer xm uh follow him on linkedin check out his book uh jim we assume you can get the book amazon my guess
0: yeah, correct. Uh, Amazon. And there is a, a second edition of that as well, too. You might see two different covers out there, but the second edition was released in December. So go for that second edition. Just recently updated. Perfect. Um,
1: so the topic today, of course, we're talking about the, the book. We're going to focus on his book, but mapping experiences for CX. And I have to admit that uh, as a practitioner, uh, so I own and operate a an outsourced contact center. Paul is a uh, manager of, and practitioner of customer care in the contact center. We hear a lot about mapping. It's, a, it's, it's sometimes it's a buzzword. We hear about it as we should be mapping. You should do this. The thought leaders are telling us mapping, 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 mapping. I gotta admit total ignorance here. I've never mapped before. And so I really wanna delve in and understand mapping. Tell us like top level and for the audience that may or may not have done mapping, what is mapping and why is it so important?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, that's a great question and a great place to start. I I think the key word there is experience, right? We have user experience, customer experience, employee experience, the experience economy. We're talking about experience being a differentiator, a competitive differentiator in our marketplaces. Um, and, you know, if, if, if that's the imperative that the businesses and, and teams that create those experiences have these days, we need a way to talk about experience because in and of itself, that term is very um, fuzzy and slippery and even hard to define. When I give my workshops on mapping experiences, sometimes the first question I ask the group is, what is your definition of experience? And although they might have it on their business cards, right, customer experience, professionals, user experienced professionals, it's, a, it's kind of a stumper. What is an experience? What is a human experience? How do I define that? Um, and the point I want to make though is that if that's our new business imperative and that's a differentiator and it's a fuzzy concept that are, it's hard for us to get our hands around, we need a way to make experience tangible and to be able to talk about it in a repeatable and consistent way and in a way that we can draw others in our organization into that conversation as well too. And that's what I believe mapping is all about. It's our need to understand, to get our arms around this concept of experience in a way that we can bring it into our organizations, make sense of it, and then turn that insight that we get from mapping into action.
1: Uh, I'm going to offer this uh, as my unofficial definition. You can blow (laughs) this one to smithereens. My definition of experience is it's what takes place when you're not looking. Is that Sega. fair? Uh, it's that's part of it. That's
0: part of it. Um, you know, when I ask that question, people talk about emotions and aspirations that they have. They talk about you know the the relationship that you have with a brand or a company over time, and all of these things are right. Uh, the thing I like about your your perspective there, Neil, is that um, it takes place when when you're not looking. The way that I would look at it is that you don't own the experience. The experience is something that the individual perceives. This is how your market perceives you you can't you can't design an experience you can design for an experience but they have the experience and they own the experience and that's part of the slipperiness of it as well too right it's not black and white there's a lot of gray around that word and we you know we can debate about the definitions and some of those you know components that you brought up and some of the other ones that i brought up but in the end of the day we need a way that we can encapsulate our notion of an experience and make sense of it as a team. And what a map is, it's, it's a diagram, it's a visualization of that experience. And it includes some of the components that we just talked about as well too. So uh, time is a big con- uh, aspect of experience. We, t- we tend to not think of the, the word experience, by the way, as a, as a single point in time. Like, you know, I just took a sip of water Right, that's that's not an experience. The experience is us doing this podcast together, Neil. Right, and there was a there was a before we set this up via email. Now we're doing this, and there's going to be an afterward. So typically, when we're thinking of experience, we're thinking of a broader timeline. So uh, when we map experiences, it's typically chron- chronological, right? And we can map literally, visually, map out a chronology, and then we want to get some of those other aspects all aligned on that diagram. What are the actions? thoughts and feelings that people have those perceptions that they have that that they own that are theirs and we want to be able to see how that unfolds over time and and manage that level of experience right again that's very hard to do and very hard to talk about mapping makes that concrete it makes it tangible and it allows a group of people to literally stand around the same thing and point at it and say we want to affect that point there's our point of intervention that's our trigger um so the 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 mapping has an alignment effect it allows people to come together and even though they can't uh, define the word experience as a textbook definition they can still have the same impression of what experience means for them
1: who in an organization does the mapping that i'm aware of i don't think i've seen yet on linkedin the chief mapping officer i don't think anyone has mapping yet in their title i may be wrong who does the mapping is it the chief customer officer it's the the head of ops it's the it's the what or the who
0: yeah no it's a good question uh there is there is by the way uh my friend jim tincher over at heart of the customer it's a customer uh experience um consultancy uh i believe his his title is chief Map, uh, mapper in chief i believe he calls himself yeah so so that is a thing um and we are seeing people like carrie bodine advocating for uh a uh, customer journey manager, like a, a journey management uh, person, so th- so this role there. Um, those those are f- few and far between. I think, at least from what from what I from what I know. So your so your question is right. Who would do that? Um, the way that I position mapping in the book um, is very broad. First of all, um, you know, designers may want to map because they're trying to design a digital product. Um, you know, customer experience professionals because they're looking at you know brand relationships over time service design, uh, you might even have a product manager looking at their go to market motions and things like that. Marketing uh, folks do it as well too. So it is a it is there's a broad need to understand the word experience and as a result, a lot of different roles might be doing the mapping. and I position mapping as something that's not a skill that's a black box, but it's something that everybody can and should be doing. So that's that's the first part of my answer. The second part of my answer is it's typically it's typically someone if you don't have the, the title chief, chief Mapper, Mapper in Chief, if you don't have that title, it is typically something like um, a, you know, a lead customer experience professional. Uh, there might be an initiative around getting a, a common model for the customer experience as represented in a map. Um, often you'll have design strategists doing it as well too. Um, and, and then marketing professionals as well, too. Uh, so uh, lots of different people can map for different reasons.
1: You talk about alignment diagrams throughout your book. And we, we use the word alignment a lot. We should have alignment. We shouldn't have silos. Yeah. But d- does that, what an alignment diagram does, breaks down the silos?
0: I, I think it does. And that's why I use that term to describe the class of diagrams That I think have emerged over the past few decades to help us grapple with this concept of experience. Um, And when I talk about alignment, I'm thinking about it at two levels. The first is, I think you have to align your internal perspective with the outside world. And we think about an outside-in alignment. Because, by the way, when you create an experience map, the basis of organization, the spine of that map is not your own product or your own processes. It's what the customer or the individual experiences. So you're actually starting from the outside. What is the customer experience and their perception is their perception. It's always valid because it's their perception. What I wanna do is use that and I wanna map that out and then see how my offering aligns to that, how my brand aligns to that. So the perspective is fundamentally, let's step outside of our organization, look back at it from the outside in and have that type of alignment from the outside to the inside. Um, The second type of alignment that I talk about, and I just kind of hinted at this in my last answer too, is an internal team alignment as well too. Okay, now that we have this model or this view from the outside in, now I want to take my own perspective, and when I say that I mean uh, you know, a design team might have a different perspective than an engineering team, than a uh, than a marketing team, than a CX team and customer success. They have their own perspectives because everybody's incentivized differently and they have their own their own missions. But um, the the value of a map is that everybody can find themselves in it, right? Because it's not it's not about a department or a discipline. It's about the individuals that you're trying to serve. I can see how where, where my piece of the puzzle fits in from that perspective, so you have potential alignment internally, breaking down
1: silos, as you say, Neil. I like it. Uh, you talk about uh, value-centered design, and um, I, I like it because you, you, you go through a really nice uh, explanation and, and definition of value. Um, around value-centered design, you talk about the intersection of individuals and the offering that the organization puts out there. So I, I think that's a very, very workable definition. It resonates, I, I get it. I have a really interesting question for me that I think is interesting. As we start to see organizations swap out individuals for automation, for intelligence, how does that change what you're doing in mapping and how does that trickle down either directly or indirectly in the value that we offer? And how does how does, how does mapping hopefully improve that and, uh, Fill gaps that may exist with the individuals. We're individuals. We're humans. We're flawed. With artificial intelligence and bots and and, and automation, does that get fixed with mapping?
0: Um, well, it, it's accounted for in mapping. Um, and I think I think you're right that automation and AI and things like that will shift how value gets exchanged from an organization and then as it's perceived by by the by the individual that's that's benefiting from that value. So I think the equation will will stay the same. What what might change is the map, in other words, how and where that value gets exchanged. Because I may not perceive as a, as a as a customer or consumer of a of an offering, I may not perceive the value of computing and processing anymore, right? Because the AI is going to do that for me. But the value that I get is is something else, and it might be higher level. It might be. Innovation it might be imagination it might be emotional is the value right and I can map that value exchange in using the same The same patterns that I lay out in the book um, It's just going to kind of shift what that map looks like, but I think at, at its core Technology won't change that model that you just referred to uh, in
1: value-centered design I'd like to do switching gears a sec to a totally different topic um, I was surprised to read your view of how important employee experience is here. We hear all the time, oh, if you treat the employee well, they'll treat the customers well. And I think there's some truth to that, but there's also, I think, exceptions to that as well. What you mentioned in the book is that the best way to create great CX is to focus intently on exceptional EX, employee experience, or at least that's how I have it written in my notes, exceptional employee experience. And I thought, wait a minute, are we about to see a diagram for the pizza party and <laughs> the pool table in the break room? I think clearly not, but I, I'm curious to know like how in terms of mapping does that manifest itself? Why is the employee experience so important? And how do you map that or create that as part of the overall uh, ecosystem that you're mapping out?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think a lot of the mapping techniques that I um, put forward in the book uh, apply to, users to customers, to partners, to employees as well too. So anytime you have a group of people that you're trying to, you're trying to understand their experience, you can use mapping as a tool and see what the exchange is between that group and what, what you're, what you're providing. I think when you talk about employee experience, um, yeah, you know, the beanbag chairs and the ping pong tables and the free bagels and stuff are part of it, but that's, that, that's, that's superficial. I think uh, what I'm talking about is, um, getting 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 deeper into into the purpose, into the mission that people have with them, the passion that they bring with them, their own careers, their relationships with their colleagues, their relationships with your brands. There are many many different facets of employee experience that are as deep as the the facets that we talk about when we talk about customer experience, right? Um, and yeah, you know, you, I have heard you know. Um, uh, claims like you mentioned, and there's data around this too. That if you have a better employee experience, that that will show in customer satisfaction scores and customer experience as well too. Um, I think I think what uh, what I'm suggesting is even going one step beyond, and that is actually mapping the customer experience. So what, what's the experience a, cu- a group of customers have to physically doing that to the uh, employee experience in the same diagram. So you can uh, in a very direct way see how employees what they need to do to create that great experience and then what you can do as an organization to enable the employees to create the great experiences for those customers to to do that alignment and when i say physically i mean like on the same piece of paper on the same digital tool what's the customer experience what's the employee experience because if your own organization is putting up any barriers to its employees that affect the customer experience you want to remove those right? You want to have that employee experience be as frictionless for the customer's sake as possible.
1: Excellent answer. Thank you. Changing gears again. Um, If my organization goes through a mapping exercise and does mapping, we're putting in quotes, does mapping, what do I get out of it? What happens? What's the result?
0: It depends on what you want out of it, and that's the first thing. You know, I talk about I have this chapter on setting up your mapping effort, uh, and it's really scoping. You know, what what the goals are. What's the what's the piece of insight that that you need to have right before you go out and do some research? Because the mapping is based on research, right? So you want to go out and you know talk to the people that you serve and and try to understand their perception of the, of their experience and put that down. Uh, into some kind of uh, uh, artifact of some kind. It could be digital, could be on paper, right? Um, And um, it really depends on what you're trying to get out of it. But typically what you're going to get out of it is some model, some common understanding of of this word experience. Um, What I like to think about as well too is that it's not about the map, the noun. It's about the mapping process and involving others in that process. And in particular, the conversations that you can have once you have that, that model created, that map created. So uh, things like workshops, I think are very important to, um, to, to get that alignment of perspectives. And I'll, t- I'll tell you, Neil, when I've done ma- mapping exercises, um, I try to invite as broad a group of people as I can. And it's sometimes it's the first time the marketing people have met the engineers, have met, have met the design team and met these other, and like in my workshop, they're like, hey, Jim, thanks for bringing us together. I'd never met the head engineer before, right? So, at, which is kind of representative of the effect that a map has of bringing these people together. You literally bring them together and have this conversation, right? So it's, it, it, you know, the map the map is, it's a catalyst for a conversation. It's just a springboard into sense-making, cross-silo sense-making that you have to do. And you as the map maker, you have to also be the facilitator of those conversations. So facilitation is part of mapping in my book literally in my book <laughs> neil it's it's uh, you know I, I talk about facilitation uh, across a lot of it because otherwise you just have a you just have a you have nice wallpaper and the goal is to not make nice wallpaper it's to facilitate ongoing conversations as well too and by the way those models that you create a model of a customer experience for instance that can then go into uh, a, a tool that then manages the experience in real time Right, so then you can take that customer journey and put it into a database like tool like the Qualtrics, we were just talking about Qualtrics before, like some of the Qualtrics tool, tools and have things like real time NPS against each of the segments that you that you made in, into your map as well too. So it's, it's a journey and, and, and the mapping is part of research. It's a point in time to have a conversation, but it's also an ongoing journey.
1: I love it. So those of us that like, you know, quotes, that love the the executive summary. You said something here that was great. I think Paul. Hopefully we can we can do something fun with this. Which is, it's not about the map. It's not the noun. It's more about the verb yeah. mapping. Less about the 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 document. It's 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 less about the piece of paper, the wallpaper. I think you've use, you know, <laughs> used, but it's about the exercise. I think it's about the exercise planning, thinking, designing and and getting
0: your teams together. Right. So invite the engineers to go out and talk to customers while you're doing your exercise. Right. It's an opportunity for you as an organization to not create a deliverable, but to have a broader conversation around what is a customer experience for us, for our company. And it's going to be different for every industry and for every company. And you have to make sense of that um, as a group of people. And it's not going to happen from a document. It's not going to happen from a research report or a map. It's an ongoing conversation. The map is just kind of a centerpiece to have those conversations, right? So it's really about trying to be more customer centric as an organization. And it's one thing, it's not the only thing, it's one thing. Uh, But it's a really important thing I think that that organizations can do is go out and say, we have an experience that we wanna understand. Let's encapsulate that. It's just a snapshot and it's a snapshot in time. But if we can agree on that and have a conversation around that, we're more customer centric as an organization.
1: You, tell, you give a great example in the beginning of the book about um, bringing people from different elements, different parts of an organization together. And you talk about, uh, in that particular example, the people in billing. Yeah. The people in billing, all they did was just bill. Yeah. They sent a, a document. They sent a, a, an invoice. Pay me this. What they didn't realize was the impact of that bill when it was incorrect yeah. and the angst and anxiety it created on customers when it was incorrect. And they had no visibility into it. Correct. and the impact that that exercise had on that particular team.
0: Correct, and and you know it's a, it's about finding those friction points that that you're not aware of, and we you've probably experienced those as consumers. You, you ever been standing at a service desk and they say, no, I can't help you. You got to go talk to you got to go talk to another person, and it's like, and you, and then you take a step back and you're looking at the brand name on the service desk and wait, uh, isn't this you guys? He's like, yeah, but that's a different department. And, you know, but that's how organizations are set up and that's how organizations are incentivized, even like that desk is incentivized to answer those questions and they don't have the peripheral vision into all those other parts of the organization. So you as a consumer, you're experiencing their organizational seams and you want the experience to be seamless. you got to take out the iron and iron out your own seams right? And again, it's not a panacea, but mapping is one way to, to highlight those seams, right? And if you were to do that in words, I might have a 10 page report that says, hey, there's a seam here and it's a, fric- you know, there's a lot of friction for the customer. But by making it visual in a diagram, people can just walk over and go, well, that shouldn't happen before that happens, you know, and you, you're seeing it, you're seeing cause and effect all in one thing. And that's, that's really powerful for aligning mindsets internally and getting that cross silo dialogue going.
1: In your mind, could you give us one or two examples of companies that have successfully conducted mapping exercises?
0: Sure. I mean, mapping is now kind of widespread. It's actually interesting. When I wrote the first edition in two thousand sixteen, I had started writing probably about two thousand fourteen, and I was active in the field. You know, about a decade ago, let's say, right? And you know, the word customer journey map was kind of out there. Service blueprint. There's a couple of other you know precursor artifacts. And uh, they weren't really widely known. Uh, and since then, now it seems like, at least to me, uh, everybody knows what a customer journey map is, and stakeholders are asking them by for them by name, right? So I think to some degree, um, uh, mapping has become kind of a standard practice that that a lot of organizations are doing, particularly with a customer journey map. Um, but you know, organizations that I've seen or that I've worked with who are doing it uh, particularly well are companies like Intuit the uh, tax uh, software giant in, sure. in the US. Um, and my friend over there, Eric Flowers, has a really innovative way of doing what, what's called the service blueprint, which is a particular type of a, an experience map um, that they do extensively there at, um, at Intuit. And he's kind of open sourced that, that method um, with his group called the Practical Service Design Group uh, over there. But um, if you look at, if you look at how innovative Intuit has been um, you know, over the past uh, twenty-five years, you know, reinventing their business. Part of that is a laser focus on the customer, um, and they have programs in place. It's not just mapping; it's mapping, and then all of the other things around it as well, too. The mapping, right? The the verb parts of it that extend into customer visits and and follow me home programs and. Uh, bringing customer data and, and conversations into executive meetings and uh, you know, kind of making, making those dialogues pervasive throughout the organization and throughout the development life cycles as well, too.
1: So for those of us that I think like me, uh, when they finally listen to this, that say, oh, my gosh, there's a light bulb and it's going off, I should be doing mapping. What are the top three takeaways that an audience, a listener, remember the audience could, could take away and say, you know what? These are the three things I'm gonna do to get started. What are they?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, um, it should be based on observation, investigation. Uh, it's it's research-based, right? So you might define an experience, whatever field or domain you're in, the industry that you're in, and you wanna understand that experience. And from your own knowledge, you might wanna start out with an assumption or a hypothesis of what the customer experience is. But ultimately, you want to find out what you don't know and you're only going to find that out if you go out and talk to people, right because if you're just mapping what your you and your organization know, you're just kind of reinforcing your view of the world and you're not finding the things you're missing, right so uh, base, base mapping on in some some level of investigation, right um, The other thing is um, the the visual aspect of mapping, I think is very important but you don't have to be a graphic designer to be able to map. And I've heard people say that, say, oh, I can't map. I'm, I'm not a graphic designer. It's like, no, no, no. That has nothing to do with graphic design. You can open up an Excel sheet. You can put a row of sticky notes on the wall behind you to map out that experience as long as it facilitates those conversations that you need to have. As long as it finds those points, unknown points of friction, right? then it's, it's served its job. But the visualization of it, the externalization of, of the experience as a, as a diagram, whether it's sticky notes or a high fidelity diagram um, is, is what's really important because that same information in a 10 page report will get lost. It won't have the same accessibility. It won't be compelling uh, as, uh, a, as a diagram. So um, a, a diag- diagramming is important and you don't have to be a graphic designer. And then I think the last thing, and we, we've kind of already hit this um, home already, Neil, but it's about the conversations. So think about how you can spur the curiosity of your team to engage in that diagram and find the opportunities. Where are the points of intervention? Where are the triggers? Where are those seams and those points of friction that you need to remove, right? Um, And I think as the mapper, you take your hat off. Okay, I created a map. I did the research and I created a nice visualization. You got to put a facilitation hat on as well, too. So fostering the right conversations is part of mapping in my book.
1: There was the top three from Jim Callback. Audience, pay attention. These are really good points. And read the book. You still have to read the book. But these are three, three really good points. And, and uh, I, I have to imagine that you audience like me are listening to this and thinking, wow, there's some this really cool exercise here to do. They are doable. You don't have to be a visual or graphic designer. You can do them. You just have to do them. You just have to actually do it, and they are doable. Super. Let's uh, wind down to the final third of the podcast. We'd love to ask our guests three parting questions. First one, and I'm really interested in your take here. What is a CX myth that you would like to bust? Something commonly held, you know, one of those ideas that we're all told about. Anything you'd like to just, you know, kind of destroy and and, and (laughs) debunk and just get rid of it because uh, your take is different.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think it has to do with asking customers what they want. And there's this famous quote out there. I know we're going to get on the quote, so I'm actually going to bring a quote into my myth, if that's okay. Um, that you know, apparently Henry Ford said that if I asked people at the time what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. So therefore, you can't ask people what they want. I, I think the problem with that example is that you're in that example, you're asking people about the solution, and I agree with that. That people don't know. What solution they need—that's um, up to you. That's your job is to come up with the solution. But they absolutely know what they need. And the follow-up question that Henry Ford should have asked—you know, hey, what do you want? And they say a faster horse. Should why do you want a faster horse? Oh, because I want to get from point A to point B. And why do you want to get from point A to point B faster? They can articulate that at that level. At the what's my goal? What's my need? So customers can absolutely articulate their needs. What they can't do is tell you what the solution is. Or said another way, if they tell you the solution, you should take that with a big grain of salt because it's your job as the organization to find the solution. But customers can absolutely tell you what they want if you're asking them the right questions.
1: This delves perfectly into uh, your quotes, your CX quotes. One of them that you and I both share, um, I know this because I've seen it ahead of time, but about the drill. Share with us the drill quote.
0: Sure. Uh, Theodore Levitt, famous Harvard business professor in the 50s and 60s, used to like to tell his students that people don't want a quarter-inch drill, they want a quarter-inch hole. And what he was saying there is that opportunities for business growth come also from looking at what the individuals that you serve are trying to get done. What are their objectives independent of your solution? So in that metaphor, the drill... That's a solution, that's a means to an end, but it's not the end, right? And organizations are really good at looking at, 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 a, at a group of people, a market that we serve as consumers of their products, right? Which is good, and I'm not saying that's a bad view of the world, but what he's suggesting in that quote is, oh, we also have to put our own assumptions and biases aside, chief among them is they need our solution. Let's put that aside for a second and let's just look at what they're trying to get done, right? Because maybe they don't need a drill right? Maybe, maybe they need one of those sticky hooks, right? They don't even need a hole in the wall, right? So, okay, you have a hole in the wall. Let's talk about holes in the wall before we start talking about drills. So it, it's really kind of a, a flip in, in thinking, I think, that is suggested in that quote.
1: These are great. Love it. Uh, final third of the final third. Who are your CX heroes?
0: My C, My CX heroes, I mean, I have some I have some, uh, you know, personal heroes around me right now. When when I get when I get questions like that, I I tend to think in very kind of short term and like the people who are around me right. So I'm working with a guy named Justin Owens right now at um, Mural, the company that I work for. We're an online digital whiteboard um, who uh, joined us just about a year ago uh, and working with him on some of our brand narratives and customer experience. um, You know how we're gonna. Talk about it um, and those initiatives, uh, and that's really rewarding. Um, we also here at Mural as well too. We also just um, acquired, acquired, picked up. What's the what's the way attracted uh, the talent of uh, Steven Anderson, um, who is you know uh, uh, just a really well known UX designer and thinker, uh, information architect, and has written some amazing uh, books and gives amazing talks. I've seen him speak many times. Uh, so I ha- I'm happy to be working with Steven Anderson uh, as well, too. And then my my colleague Alicia Ness, who was my first hire here, actually, I built up the, the CX team here at Mural, and she was kind of my first hire as well, too, uh, and has been a partner in crime here. So I'm, I'm not going to name the, the usual suspects. You got the book lists. I assume you're going to have those book lists. You know, go out and talk to talk about Gene Bliss and Joseph Pine out there, but I'm going to name some people that I actually work with.
1: Love it. It's it's. I love when we get to profile people that are not known to the public, the ones that aren't on the list, the the, the the undiscovered heroes, the lower profile heroes, the people we work with, the people we uh, interact with every day. That the, Those are great. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. Paul, how do we wrap this up? This is such an interesting one, right? I'm curious to ask you, uh, what did you learn from this session today? I, mean, I learned a ton from this. I didn't know anything about mapping really coming in, and, and I have some takeaways in my mind. What what, what are you taking away from this?
2: Yeah, I, absolutely. I. Uh, jim it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on i don't think in my entire life i've met anybody who is as passionate as as mapping as you are um and it's really come across and um, i don't mean that from a nerdy perspective i mean the fact that you're passionate be passionate with the reason right the fact that the benefits of mapping has and what i loved I'll take, as, as as neil was saying i'm going to take a lot from it but i think for me the biggest takeaway is it's possible to map your employee mapping along with your customer right and i think that's critical um so yeah that, that that's super for me and also i picked up and i don't know if it's deliberate or not but i've just finished reading uh, the lean startup and a book i've just started to read now called ask and you pulled out some tidbits there that actually are reoccurring in those books um so it just means that i'm on the right track i'll never get to jim's level but at least mm-hmm. i'm learning so jim yeah thank you so so much it's been an absolute pleasure and I just love your enthusiasm, your genuine enthusiasm and passionate about map, and I think it's great. Thanks, Paul.
1: Jim Callback, audience, make sure you go out and get the second edition, not the first edition, second edition, right? The second edition is available right now, Jim?
0: Yeah, it's it's out on uh, Amazon. We had to pause the distribution of the print copies, but it's back available on Amazon. And I do have to say the print version is a lot better than the Kindle version because of the diagrams that I include in the book, so it's very, very visual, and if you're new to mapping, uh, just thumbing through the book should give you lots of ideas and inspiration by looking at all of those diagrams, and you're gonna get a better experience from from the
1: print version. Super. Mapping experiences, a complete guide to customer alignment through journeys, blueprints, and diagrams. Jim, you were a sensational guest. Thank you for coming on. We really enjoyed having you. Uh, We all learned from this uh, and it was just uh, i knew this was going to be a great session. We're going to learn from it, but I it just, just took it to a whole other level. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast today.
0: Yeah. Thanks again for having me. It was my pleasure.
1: Super Fireside chats without the fires Friday, February 26th. For those that liked this content and like our, our show in general, please go out, rate us, review us, go to Apple podcasts. Hopefully if you like it, give it a five star, uh, give it a check, write a little, a comment or blurb for a review, we would appreciate that. Uh, share, like, subscribe, follow, uh, whatever you need to do on your social media feeds to make sure you continue to get this content. Uh, if you have comments, thoughts, ideas, always share them with us. We'd like to know your feedback. We've learned that from Jim. We want to ask, what are you interested in? That's the way we're going to figure out and get better and better at this, hopefully. Uh, concluding, I am, in Paul Catherall's words, I'm buzzing uh, as, we, as we wrap this session up. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you once again, Jim Callback. We'll see you next week.
0: This has been another episode of Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Follow Neil and Paul on Twitter at Neil Toff and at PaulCat72. Podcast feedback and topic suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.